Hello everyone, and welcome to Now You're Playing With Power, a Nintendo podcast. My name is NBZ, and I am your illustrious host uh, for this week of every second week of which we do this, as I always am. And I always am, as I always am, I am always, always am, joined by my co-host, it's Valley. Green eggs and ham to you, NBZ. Green eggs and ham right back at you, my friend. Doctor, Doctor Seuss, uh, uh, philosopher, scholar, uh, Mr. Bally here is. Uh, Sam, I am very well versed. Very well versed in the rhymes uh, of, of of such a, a man. So, uh, hello. Anyway, that was an, an interesting introduction. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where we're going. <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing, Bally? How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing very well. Yes, playing plenty of video games. Loads of Smash Brothers. Loads of other games. Oh, it's, it's great. It's a good time. It's a good time all around. So, uh, yeah, we, I guess we're going to get into today's show. Uh, we have uh, some segments coming up for you, and Bally is going to tell you what those are going to be. We've got what we've been playing, we have your emails, and then for this week's third segment, we are going to be talking a bit about gaming guides, um, yeah. when we use them, why we like them, why we hate them, um, all the ins and outs. Our opinions lay within, Our opinions. so uh, you know, uh, be ready, be ready for that. Uh, but of course, as always, we're going to kick things off with the stuff we've been playing in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Bally, how about you tell us uh, what you've been digging into I have been playing a game that came out right at the start of this year. Um, mm. which trying to get like it a... in there before our Game of the <laughs> Year discussions happen, I see. Exactly. Just trying to squeeze it in there. This was a game I was quite close to getting when it came out earlier this year. Um, and that game, of course, is Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. Now, does it have Country still in the title? Yes, it's still it Donkey does. Kong Country it Tropical does. Freeze. It is Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. And I've never played a... Uh, Donkey Kong Country game apart from a little bit of the remake of the first one on Game Boy Advance yeah now how did you come across this I seem to remember a weird story involving this game you do? I don't, I'm not aware of this weird story. I'm pretty no. sure I... Well, isn't it like a game you found behind a sofa? Or oh, like no, that? That, no, that was Zelda Oracle of Ages. Right, yeah. Um, which was found behind the back of a sofa. Um, mm. We'll get anyway, to that when you play that game eventually, I guess. I, I, I probably, I will definitely play that eventually. Although I think the battery in that cartridge is gone, so oh no. we'll probably have to oh download it. But sure, I digest. Uh, what we, I was you talking digest? about was digress. Digest. <laughs> digest. Well, you have to see in dinner, so you, you, I guess you are. In the I have got of food digesting. on the brain. I digress. <laughs> How, what, right. how, do you, how do you how do you get rid of your dinner? I digress it. You know? <laughs> yeah, you do. And that's, when I want to change topic, I digest. Then. You do. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to Donkey Kong. Goodness, shall we? Where is this uh, so, so when did you play the GBA game? Do you own it? I owned it. Yeah, um, it's still sitting in my room right now. I played maybe a world or two. This was back when I was very young when the Game Boy Advance came out, and I played mm. hardly any of it really, and wasn't very good at it. Um, Right, I mean, this was when Nintendo on the GBA were just remaking the hell out of every Super Nintendo exactly. game they could get their hands um, on, so... I mean, it's not got the the same pizzazz that, you know, Tropical Freeze has. Right. Um, in terms of the music and the art and all those glorious things I'm going to get to, but... Um, right, I guess if you want to start with pizzazz, it's a pretty-looking game. It's it is a good looker. very, a very pretty-looking game. Um, I... <sighs> I go along. I go on a lot about pretty looking games on this podcast, and I'm not gonna 
um, ruin it by saying that this one doesn't uh, match the rest because it definitely does. It's right up there with the top ones. Right, and um, kind of in stark contrast now when you think about how bad the original Donkey Kong countries now look, you know, that art style, and that kind of going for the 3D uh, weird... Um, you know, thing they went with is yeah. it doesn't really hold up these days. It's so. really it's a, that sort of three D in a two D plane feels a lot like trying. Like you can the, the the scope of the depth you can see backwards looks so nice and like really well done. The art style is amazing, and I actually think that a number of levels, and especially the ones based on the Savannah planes, feel really. It feels a lot like Disney, the cartoon style, and mm. especially this one world, which feels just like The Lion King. I can't emphasize enough how much this world feels like The Lion King. There's yeah, like... I saw some of your Miiverse uh, screenshots there, and they really yeah. did, I have to say. So, yeah. Just like it, and even the music, which obviously you can't hear on the screenshot of on the Miiverse, but just really really sort of the disneyfication of a video game this felt like um so when i when you when i picked it up um dk he handles in a really weird way i'd liken this game to almost yoshi's island in that ultimately it's a very very solid platformer just like yoshi's island but the the physics with yoshi and dk for this game are very unusual um dk he feels he feels like a heavy ape, which is yeah. appropriate because he is a heavy ape, and it really feels as far from Mario as you possibly can. Almost, I mean, it's there's no run button. Um, you're jumping on enemies. You're um, you're rolling. You're slapping the ground. You're climbing. Yeah. There's a lot of climbing in this game. Swinging. I mean, that's the thing. To get momentum in this game, you have to use that roll because there's no real other way to. to... You know, move yourself further than you would otherwise be able to. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, the first level or so, I actually played with uh, yourself in co-op. And yeah, we did. We were just at your house, and I was like, let's just do a co-op mission. You'd obviously, you've obviously played DK Returns before, right? I've played um, the 3DS version, and um, on that game, they actually have like a casual mode, which allows you to have uh, extra two hearts, which makes things mm. much more bearable and kind of allowed me to get through that game I feel Whereas this is much more hardcore back to the two hearts and then four hearts yeah. when you have Diddy Dixie or Cranky. exactly yeah but yeah. but that initial playtime we had together we just did the very first level in co-op and I thought it controlled terribly I was really like what have I invested in this, this <laughs> controls really badly and on top of that and there's no defense for this the co-op just feels terrible I don't yeah I think the work the level design just doesn't fit co-op at all I think it's too narrow almost to, no to... it doesn't and I think this uh, you know makes sense in the context of DK as a platformer I always kind of think the spectrum of Nintendo platformers goes Kirby Mario Donkey Kong with you know Donkey Kong on the far end of difficult Kirby on the easy and Mario somewhere in in the middle and when it comes to being precise and trying to get uh, really difficult platforming done DK in co-op is is not the way to go I think Kirby uh, works much better for that kind of stuff yeah and so I took the game back home obviously I've been playing it the last two weeks and world one world one grew on me it, I got better at the platforming it became more natural um I've been using the analog stick. I know you used the D-pad for DKC Returns. Yeah, I did, um, yeah. 
So I, I don't know why, but for me, the analog stick with the Pro Controller just felt more natural. Um, and I really got into the swing of things, you might say. Hey. I, um, <laughs> it, it really, like after a while, the platforming feels really natural, really great. And I'm really liking it as a 2D platformer. Um, another part of the game I, I'm really liking is the ability where you can have either uh, Dixie, Diddy, or Cranky on your back, and they all have unique um, attributes. That where special Cranky, abilities, what exactly saying, special yeah. abilities. Cranky can pogo stick a bit like Shovel Knight or Scrooge McDuck. Yep. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, Dixie Kong is probably the best because she provides you effectively with a double jump almost. Um, yeah, basically... and she also has a little bit of a hover before she goes up as well. So yeah, it's, a, it's kind of it's, built in hover like plus a, uh, boost. Yeah, it's like a little little bit of extra height. Um, and then Diddy Kong, um, as far as I'm aware, he's got the same ability as he had in DKC Returns, which is the jetpack. So you get a bit of a hover, a bit of a glide, yeah. um, basically, which which is nice. Um, another area of the game I'm really liking is the water levels. Now, most games, and I'm mainly hearing this from you, MBZ, games like the Mario universe, um, whether that's 2D or 3D or other games um, that you've played, you really have an issue with, like, water levels. Yeah, it's really to do with the control of the character underwater and how that handles, and it just... The idea of being in free space, you know, just doesn't work that well in video games fundamentally i just think it's something that people still have not been able to figure out and you know i played one of my favorite games this year bayonetta 2 that had underwater segments still not great because you know it's very hard (laughs) to pull that stuff off you know i was like okay bayonetta can you be the game to buck the trend no it it couldn't and uh doesn't do it for me see in my opinion this is the game that bucks the trend and I'm not going to try and say that, oh, he it handles like you're not in water when you're in the water. Because, yes, it is still very floaty and um, it's not as precise as being on land. And I don't think it, it's ever meant to be. But I think that uh, there's a number of factors that, I, in my opinion, make the water levels really great. Um, because there's an entire world based on water levels. Um, I think it's world... Five, I want to say in this game. Um, no, not World Five. Sorry, World Four. And I was really worried that they would be a bit sort of repetitive, a bit annoying. But in fact, the combination of the music and the art, and just the way that I think DK handles, and especially the way that DK handles with Dixie, Diddy, and Cranky on his back. So they all have different abilities underwater as well as on land. Oh, they change, do they? Exactly. So. Cranky waggles his stick out in front of him like you have a little attack, basically, which is quite handy. Dixie's hair basically becomes a motor, which is a really nice way of having consistent um, uh, propulsion through the water because normally you're pressing Y to do a little spin. It's almost a bit like swimming when you're in Skyward Sword or something like that. It's like a spin sort of jump, and that helps... DK propel himself forward but Dixie's propeller is much more consistent and you can just keep holding it which is really nice Um, and then you've got Diddy Kong who has sort of like a sudden burst of speed with his jetpack and I think the combination of these factors plus the art and the music and just some really great enemies underwater for example there's 
a, a massive octopus that's in the background and it's spraying ink at you and the ink is rising um, up the stage and you're basically forced to speed run through the entire level vertically upwards underwater and it's really fun I didn't think it would be fun and when it started I was like this is going to be really tough and it was tough but I thought it was fair and it and it it's not platforming in the traditional sense because you're floating like you said but it just felt really great and like I wish more games um, were like this because I think the handling in something like uh, 2D New Super Mario Bros. U underwater levels are just horrible like I just yeah they kind of have never gone back to fix what they had in the first place like it, it's, it almost yeah. still feels like Mario 3 was still kind of pressing the A button to go up and down yeah yeah so um, yeah. the thing with Donkey Kong that's always um, been interesting to me is how much of a contemplative platformer it is in the sense that you really have to think quite a bit uh, if you want to get past challenges, but it also forces you forward with quite a bit of speed. Like, you don't have that much time to think about situations in certain levels. I mean, we were doing a level today where you're jumping on, uh, like, some, some goop and stuff, and there are a lot of parts of that where you're like, oh, right, okay, I need to make sure I'm thinking, I need to get to this platform to make mm. it spin around, but you don't necessarily have that much time because maybe there's an enemy coming towards you. So it kind of blends these elements, and I, th- I think that's something that makes it quite tough but uh, also yeah. quite rewarding in the end. Yeah, exactly. There's loads of level. Each level, I thought that the basic formula would get repetitive. I mean, it's just 2D platforming, it's DK, blah, that's it done. But the levels mix up, mix stuff up so much that it makes it really playable. So like the level you were just describing, it's, it's almost like kind of like a puzzle going on at the same time and then right. other other levels there's plenty of minecart levels there's like a boat level there's the 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 barrel um jetpack level it basically is and there's all these different levels that force you to play the game in a very different way um or for, did i say rambi levels there's right yeah there's so and there's also like i was saying with the octopus there's other levels like similar to that where it forces you to speed run the level like something is chasing you and you're forced to play the game in a different way like i really think that this game excels at not not staying too long on one um one game mechanic and kind of keeps trying to reinvent itself to some degree level on level yeah it's definitely a game where you have to have intense focus and you know when it comes to the bosses i think that couldn't be any closer to the truth right yeah they require so much dedication and they take a really long time and it's all based because they're they have really long sequences that that you have no way of breaking um you're forced into hitting them at specific points of the sequence um and at the times where you're not attacking them you're purely just trying um you're just trying to avoid everything they're throwing at you and with four hearts or two hearts it's really difficult (laughs) Um, yeah it's, it's really memorization honestly exactly it's completely memorization after a while and pure platforming prowess and i mean i've not finished this game i'm now into the final world um and yeah the bosses have been a real real tough part Um, to the point at which i had to beat one for you exactly (laughs) oh my god so embarrassing so yeah yeah you were around earlier and we were playing the fifth world boss which um i won't spoil but 
Yeah, God, that he's a bastard. Bad. I'll tell you, he's a bastard. Such a bastard. <laughs> so, um, bastard. so yeah, I've got I've got a while to go, but absolutely love loving this game so far. Um, I. It's definitely up there for Game of the Year, Ooh, um, which will all be revealed before the year is out. Um, but yes. I'll give my final impressions of this game uh, next time when I should have hopefully finished it. Excellent. You're very close to the end, I think, so uh, yeah, should be should be heading there pretty soon. Well, uh, if that's that for you, uh, aside from um, you know trucking along with Assassin's Creed whenever you can, uh, I guess I'll talk about what I've been playing. Uh, I have finally finished uh, a project that uh, has been going on for a few months now. I did talk about it maybe, I don't know, four or five shows ago. Uh, it is Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies. Uh, so, of course, this is the, the downloadable-only uh, game in, in Europe and North America. It was a boxed copy in Japan, but, of course, they had to put it on the eShop here, which was good because there was a deal and it was 12 quid, and I was like, damn, I'm doing that uh, because it, it wasn't going to go down any other time. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been playing that and I finally finished it, uh, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, this is in fact the third game involving Phoenix Wright that I've beaten this year because I played Trials and Tribulations uh, at the top of the year in January. Uh, I finished that um, having started it in like two, two thousand end of two thousand thirteen, uh, and then I also played Leighton versus Wright uh, in like May, which I blitz through pretty quickly. That's probably the fastest I've ever played one of those type of games. But this one, uh, definitely longer than Leighton versus Wright. It's uh, coming 27 or 8 hours or so. so wow. Uh, yeah, really was um, uh, quite a long one. I think the difference is there's a lot of pacing uh, issues I think Phoenix Wright games have in general. And it's not something they can necessarily fix just because it's the way that they roll um, but Leighton versus Wright broke it down into like one hour chunks as I kind of talked about before and I found that very uh, satisfying because I could you know play every night and do a solid hour and feel like I'd achieved something and got somewhere um, and I feel uh, Phoenix Wright uh, this game has uh, you know addressed a lot of those issues and made them quite a bit better mainly in the investigation part uh, which before was a little more point and click adventure where you'd be going around um, trying to find clues and evidence and talking to people and trying to get stuff from them and you would sometimes find yourself wandering and not knowing where to go or what to do or who to talk to and you know the game didn't do a very good job of communicating uh, that you know back in the day the the DS ones were kind of bare bones in that uh, department but what they've done here is they've really boiled it down and they've made it a much more linear experience in the investigation part which I think maybe some people will be disappointed by because it doesn't mean you're kind of you know digging in there yourself and, and, and going and finding the clues out and uh, discovering it all but I feel it just makes it more playable you know the the linearity helps um, and uh, there are a few ways they do that so one of them is previously in Phoenix Wright games whenever you went to an area you could click the examine button and what that allowed you to do was like use the touch screen to pinpoint an object and then you know the characters would say some dialogue about it if it was important they would add it to uh, the evidence log and then you would perhaps use it in trial later on uh, now what they do is they only allow you to examine areas that the game thinks you should examine so it says okay we're in this area we're going to examine this now and then it basically forces you to do all the examining and uh, just have it localized so you're not wasting time in places you either are talking to someone or you're examining and you always know what you're doing which is really nice uh, so they kind of pinpoint it that way um, which you know that's great it, it just 
means I I don't have to worry about you know coming back to the game and being like oh what do I need to do now I I can't remember and I did have that issue back in January with Trials and Tribulations because I was in the middle of like the third case and I didn't know what was going on so I had to go back and read up what had happened and you know that takes a lot of time um, which uh, I'd rather not spend. So do you think this game might actually be better for someone like myself who's never played one to try and get into the series based on like you said it's easier to to get back into yeah i mean the interesting thing about dual destinies is it's so far down in the narrative of the story that That's you true, exactly. won't know any yeah. of these characters yeah. i mean the thing is it's a localized um overarching narrative so you don't have to have uh, any sort of uh, knowledge of the previous games to enjoy it but there is a lot to dig into there in terms of references and kind of things uh, which will be relevant from the past which will maybe come up in the future and lots of cameos from characters you won't know otherwise so to that extent I'd say it probably isn't a good place but mechanically it definitely is um, but as I said before earlier this year I'd say Leighton versus Right is definitely a better jumping in point just because it's a much easier game and there's no like extra context you need it's latent and right there's no background there it's just you know those two characters in the universe together um it works really well uh so another thing they do in uh, just the examination part is previously when you clicked on things you wouldn't know you it was this problem of being like have i searched everything in this room or not and you wouldn't know because sometimes you would click a thing and then go back and maybe uh you know the information was there and you'd missed it in this game, that puts a little tick mark every time you've investigated a certain object, so you always know, like, okay, I've already covered that, I don't need to read any more about it, it's done and, and put to the side. So it's just kind of little things like that that make uh, make it a much uh, smoother experience, which, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate, uh, because these games are really all about the story, and I'd be lying if I said that, because they are you know at their base visual novels as opposed to i guess pure games they have a lot of you know game elements to them which make them enjoyable to to dig through and kind of have you involved with them as you're figuring things out but um you know the 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 faster you get to me to the story elements the better i would say so so definitely good stuff there um I also would like to kind of address, uh, you know, the voice acting situation, because it's a little bit weird between this and Leighton versus Wright. Um, in that game, there was kind of this mixture where the voice acting would occur um, sometimes just during court cases or during investigations, and not just in cutscenes. There would obviously be voice acting in cutscenes, but this game just fully puts it in cutscenes, and there's nothing outside of that, aside from, you know, shouting objection, and like, hold it, and these tropes of the series that have been in every game. Um, So I found that a little bit uh, strange, considering that Leighton vs. Wright was in fact made before this game was, so I thought, you know, this may be the path. So they've gone backwards almost, you're saying? Yeah, well, I... I, I can't remember whether it was Level 5 or it was Capcom who worked on Layton vs. Right, but they definitely have different voice actors. Like, the voice actor for Phoenix is a different guy, I'm pretty sure. So it's, it seems like a, a kind of a strange regression, um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe There are probably reasons for that. It's a very long game. You can only fit so much, I guess, uh, voice work in a 3DS cartridge, 
but um, I feel it would have been nice uh, for them to to kind of do that. But um, yeah, overall, I think you know the story has been fantastic. It's been really good. A lot of people criticized the game that came before this, which was Apollo Justice, where they introduced a brand new character and Phoenix Wright wasn't the center of it. And according to a lot of reports, you know, uh, Apollo wasn't a particularly interesting character. He didn't have great development, and uh, you know, he wasn't particularly likable in any way. Um, but, you know, just from my perspective from this game, I think they did a really good job with him. They have uh, a fantastic way that they interweave the story uh, and tie it up at the end. Um, and he is involved pretty deeply in that. You also have your new character, Athena Sykes, who uh, has deep, deep uh, involvement in uh, a lot of the later cases. And it just, it does that Phoenix Wright thing where it leaves you these little breadcrumbs, these little clues as you go through each case and slowly one by one the pieces fit together until you're like, a a genius wrote this because it all just fits like this perfect puzzle by the end. And uh, man, there are some some massive what-the-fuck moments as there are in every Phoenix Wright game, I feel. But uh, particularly the ending of this one is is rather absurd. Uh, And I wouldn't have it any other way, uh, honestly, because uh, I I enjoy those immensely. And I think uh, they're very satisfying. So there you go. Uh... Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies, uh, you should pick it up if you uh, are a fan of the series. Uh, If not, then go and get the Phoenix Wright Trilogy, which I think is out in December on 3DS. I think that's right. I might have to try that next year. These games are very Japanese, Bally, but I think you would really enjoy them. It's it's a very different thing than anything you've played before, but I certainly think that, you know, for expanding your horizons and kind of trying a visual novel-esque thing, Phoenix Wright is the best place to jump in. There's no doubt about that. Sweet. So there you go. Uh, there has been one other thing that I played this week. It's a very, very small, short game. Uh, it's called A Bird Story. Uh, it's by a guy called Kan Gao, who made uh, a game called To the Moon. Um, I'm not sure if uh, many of you will have heard of this, um, but it's a, a very story-driven experience, I, I guess kind of the theme of this episode for me, uh, on Steam, uh, that I played earlier this year, and it's just a beautiful game. It's, it just tells this really heartwarming story uh, that has science fiction, elements and you know stuff with time travel and dreams and uh, some great interesting stuff and it's all done in this kind of 16-bit JRPG visual style so it stands out pretty well and um, and I really enjoyed that earlier this year I don't believe I actually got to talk about it on the podcast but uh, you'll you'll probably be hearing about it uh, come on game of the year stuff because that really uh, was was one of my favorite things I played is it the same visual style as To the Moon? It is, yeah. It adopts the exact same uh, visual style, but it's okay. much, much shorter. It's only an hour long, um, and there's no dialogue. It's, this is all told through uh, animation and uh, through the visual style and, and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't say it's uh, anywhere close to the quality of To the Moon in terms of the, uh, you know, the complexity of the of the story and the narrative. But it's a really sweet game. It's really nice. And um, it's it's just one of those experiences that you don't really find anywhere else. Uh, and I, uh, I'm glad that they exist because, you know, the, the medium doesn't always have to be about going around shooting people or jumping on people's heads or you know there there doesn't always have to be conflict uh, for games to be effective and uh, this one certainly doesn't do much of that and uh, is is great for it Um, so there you go it's really cheap on Steam Um, very short experience but uh, I would recommend it do you think a game like that would ever come to the Nintendo eShop um 
an interesting question. You know, there are, there have been efforts by Nintendo to really push for more indies to get on their store, and certainly we are seeing that happening. You know, uh, Guacamelee came out this year, The Swapper came out. Those are big temple indie titles, and I certainly think something like To the Moon would fit really well on a, a Nintendo platform, given the visual style and obviously uh, Nintendo's history with that kind of stuff on Super Nintendo. So. Um, I'd certainly love for them to to try and do that, but at the, at the moment, I think it's staying PC exclusive. Um, there's no reason why it couldn't, even if it does come late, because a lot of these indie games, they're coming, but they are coming very late. They're coming kind of at a time where they're not really relevant to a lot of people anymore, uh, but at least they're there, you know? At least they're, they're uh, potentially uh, available, so some people can play them. And do you want to mention what you're going to be playing for next time? Um, right, oh! Yes, I, I should. Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I also, uh, well, I've been buying too many games recently. I'll tell you. You know, there's Pokemon that's coming out. There's Smash that's coming out. Uh, everything is just haywire. Um, but I decided I, I'm going to go back and fix a wrong. And that wrong is me not playing any Castlevania in my life ever. And I've actually, I've decided now. I'm, I'm laying down the law, Bally. Twenty fifteen. Is the year of Castlevania for NBC. Hey, it's been my year of Metroid. You've it, got to have look, a year of Castlevania. It has to be done. And, of course, you know how big a fan of 2D Metroids I am. The fact that I've never played a Castlevania um, is something that needs to be corrected. So, I bought on uh, the PlayStation Network Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which many pe- people herald as the game that brought the term Metroidvania into existence um, because it, it uses so many of those elements in it. And uh, I'm playing it on my Vita. Uh, I have it here with me uh, in London. And yeah, uh, I've, I've just started it. I haven't played too much, but it is looking pretty great so far. So um, yeah, that is going to be happening. I'm probably going to be talking about that next week, hopefully, uh, alongside Smash Brothers and, and some other good stuff. But uh, I'm saying Bally 2015. The thing is, Nintendo has to release the GBA Castlevanias in Europe for that to happen, which I'm hoping they will do, because they've been out in America for quite a while now. So um, as long as that does happen. Yeah, it always, it's always funny waiting for stuff to come out here. It's a bit frustrating, but... <laughs> yeah, we get some stuff, they don't sometimes, but it just doesn't seem like it's often enough, does it? It's, uh, we always get left behind in in the dark in, in the European territories, but uh, exactly. so be it. So be it. In any case, I think that uh, that pretty much closes out uh, our segment. Uh, thank you for listening to what we've been playing, but we shall now listen to you because up next is our email segment don't go anywhere we're going to be answering your emails when we get back And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, for the second part of the show. Of course, as usual, 
it's our email segment. We like to call it that. That's what it is. That's what we do. And, of course, for this segment to exist, we need your participation. So, you can send in your emails, which we would like to hear uh, to our email address, which Bally will now tell you. NYPPQuestions at gmail.com. Keep those electronic mails coming. We need them. We want them. They are necessary. So, let's uh, get into the segment. Bally has the first email. First email is from Dominic. Hey, MBZ. Hey, Bally. I have zero doubts that both of you are already looking forward to the new Wii U Zelda game, whenever that may be released. In Nintendo's E3 Direct, they called it Open World, and when people talk about the game, they oftentimes refer to it as the new Open World Zelda. However, Miyamoto has backpedaled a little since then, and is now hesitant to use that term to describe the new Zelda game. Here are my questions. Number one. How vast do you guys think the new Zelda game will be, or how vast do you hope it's going to be? What do you expect slash want to be able to do in that world? The Wind Waker is my favourite game of all time, and one of the main reasons is its large world, which made me feel a sense of adventure no other Zelda game has ever been able to give to me. The Wii U Zelda will undoubtedly make that world look tiny in comparison, so I have high hopes that I'll feel this sense of adventure once again. Question number two. What elements of past Zelda games do you guys want to see return in the new Zelda, and which features do you think should be left out? This includes gameplay and control aspects of the game, such as motion control and having your inventory on the Wii U gamepad. I think it's awesome of you guys to always want to include your listeners, so thank you for that and the great podcast in general. Keep it up, Dominic. P.S. Nintendo has to make a Toon Link amiibo figure, right? Right? Uh, well, Dominic, uh, since you wrote this email to us, uh, of course, Nintendo announced the third wave of Amiibo, which of course includes Toon Link. So and your you favorite have to character, worry. Lucina, right? Uh, um, or is it just no, Marth? No, no. no. no? <laughs> Lucina's not been announced yet. It's, it's Shulk who's been announced. Oh, Shulk! Yeah, you're right. No, Lucina yeah, might be in Shulk. like one of the final waves. Yeah, maybe. Uh, if that, I don't know if they're going to give her any love. But Shulk's there, and I'm I'm certainly interested in getting Shulk at some point. But we we have time to talk about Amiibos in the future. That's not the here and now. The here and now is Wii U Zelda Bally, of course. Uh, so he opens his email talking about how Miyamoto backpedaled on the idea of open world to describe the new Zelda. What are your thoughts on on that? Uh, I think. I think Nintendo in general just hate being categorized. Like they even hate being called a gaming company. They 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 see themselves as like an entertainment funhouse company. They don't <laughs> right a madhouse. Exactly, one might say. exactly. They I don't think that by saying it's not an open world game necessarily means it's any less of an open world game. I think they just hate being categorized. That's my personal opinion, at least. And I think something they hate more than anything else, uh, even being categorized, is being compared. And of course, being compared directly to games like a Grand Theft Auto or a Red Dead Redemption or an Assassin's Creed. They don't like that comparison. And 
the buzzword for the Western kind of ideal is open world game. I think really more than anything, it's not that Miyamoto is saying this is going to be any less of an open world of those games, but that he just doesn't want that name to be attached to this uh, and for comparisons to be drawn in that way. He's just trying to back away, I feel personally, from that. And I mean, look at it this way. What open world games do you know that will have in-depth dungeons, items in that that way and stuff? I guess... I guess um, what's that game that has it? Darksiders. Darksiders. Darksiders yeah, is like yeah. a clone it's of been, Zelda. It's been compared to Zelda a lot, so I guess that's true. But it, it, I do think there will be plenty of new elements where Nintendo can firmly stake their claim that it's not purely an open world game. Um, but I guess we wait. We'll have to wait and see. Um, right. But ha- so, how uh... big do we think this game is going to be? Mm. So, according to Dominic, uh, he feels it's going to dwarf the the Wind Waker open sea. Uh, do you feel like that is something that that could potentially happen? Uh, Wind Waker is a really funny one to try and categorize in, in terms of how big it is, because right, uh, there's so much empty space. And like Dominic, I love the fact that Wind Waker is your favorite game of all time because I'm totally with you on that one. Um, but yeah, in terms of space, there's. There's so little land in the Wind Waker when you actually think about it. I mean, there's there's lots of there's quite a few towns and obviously numerous islands, and all those towns have so much character. But in terms of expansive land, that isn't obviously the sea. It's it's very there's not much of it. Like it's right, it's, it's quite sparse. Yeah, it's a real it's 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 camouflaging quite a moderately sized game. Um, as being an absolutely massive game by having the sea. Like, it's, it was a clever trick at the time because it allowed them to render islands far off in the distance or something like that. Like, there was method to the madness at the time. Um, and I really do think, um, even though on in terms of square feet or square meters, um, the new... Zelda will probably be smaller because Wind Waker was just so large. I still think the new Wii U Zelda will still feel much bigger. I think you're crazy. I think it's going to be way bigger than the Wind Waker really? one. E- really? Even, even when you talk about square meters. Absolutely. Oh, I geez. feel That's look, mental. I, no, no, no. But I think the way Anuma has been talking about this game, the way they're positioning it, he wants to go back to the template set in the original Zelda, where you can go anywhere from the start and you have this massive world. If you think about how big the world of the original Zelda was, comparative to the system it was on, and how that kind of worked, I think that they're going to try and go for the same sense of scale here, and they are already talking about, you know, in the initial uh, artwork and and, uh, footage we have of it, of Numa sitting there and being like, hey, you see that mountain in the distance? You can go all the way over there. I I, I, I appreciate that, but... That's nowhere near the scale of Wind Waker. Well, I think you're being deluded, Bal. I honestly not. do. The, those squares in Wind Waker are absolutely huge. Like, they take minutes to sail over, bearing in mind that sailing is probably going to be faster than something like uh, a horse or something. I mean. And that's where I think you're deluded. You say they take minutes to sail over, right? And therein lies the problem, because sailing is not a very fast method of transportation. Uh, <laughs> comparative, I feel to something like you know being on a pona and, and riding through the fields so 
especially you know in Wind Waker, it did feel the original one, and it, it felt quite slow. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of you know making you feel like it's bigger than it actually is in terms of you know square mileage. Hmm. But, Perhaps, but I I certainly think that Nintendo want to impress. I I I really just get that sense that Anuma wants to blow this out the water. Uh, <laughs> let's just pun the hell out of it. Why, why don't Whoa. we? And and uh, and yeah, the, and I think that they are going to try and do that. So I think it's going to be much bigger than you do. Quite honestly, okay. But we'll see. Uh, so uh, aside from that, his second question: uh, What elements do you want to see return? What uh, what conventions do you think could be thrown out, and which ones uh, should stay? Um, it's a really simple one, but I just thought the way the items were dealt with in the Wind Waker HD remake were just is very simple, but it was perfect. It was so easy, just sliding the item you want onto the mapping map. God, get my words out. Mapping it onto a button um, was just so simple, and I hope they return that. I mean, that's not thinking very outside the box at all. But um... <laughs> No, but I mean, inventory management, yeah. uh, bringing everything on the HUD down to the gamepad, not only will that free space up on the on the main screen for you to view Zelda and all, all its glory and those beautiful visuals, but uh, it also makes things much more convenient. And, you know, I don't think they need to innovate when it comes to Zelda and gamepad uh, implementation. They just need to do the simple stuff. They need to execute on it well, do it right, and I think that's just about everything that that. Can be done uh, honestly i mean uh, everyone wants nintendo to prove the gamepad's worth and to try it at this point i think there's not really any point you know there's it's kind of, we're kind of beyond repair uh, for wii u when it comes to that kind of thing and i don't think even nintendo justifying the system using something like zelda in a superbly innovative way is going to change their fortunes so i you know why even bother i uh, and i, I really don't think there will be the wiimote used at all and i to be honest i hope that they don't because we've done that it was it was great but i want i'm happy to go back to buttons like I'm, certainly uh, yeah I, I certainly think that they should kind of keep things simple yeah, like skyward sword stuff. is now forever in people's collections and if you want to experience uh, a zelda where you are swinging link's sword in a realistic fashion then play that game but it's time to move yeah. on yeah, well, I'm certainly interested to see how they'll handle dungeon structure in this game as well. Will they? How much will they build on the stuff they established in Link Between Worlds? Because I know that was another thing, uh, another convention that Anuma wanted to shake up when it came to Zelda. So, um, very curious to see uh, if they find some more interesting ways to to kind of build that stuff into the world. Um, and I mean, E3 2015 is looking like the the hot time for all of these kind of questions to be answered. Um, I could easily imagine some sort of trailer or um, them demonstrating in some way some cool new item. Um, in the same way, this like like the beetle had a big impact in Skyward Sword. I can certainly see yeah. them announcing something soon. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, December 2015, we have Star Wars coming out. And, you know, we had that teaser trailer the last little, last week. So Oh boy, you and I are just exactly. so excited so, I mean, that. Zelda's got some <laughs> catching up to do. If they want to hit that December time frame, they're going to have to show some, some more soon. So. Look, let me tell you, if November, December next year, we get Star Wars, Zelda Wii U, and Uncharted 4, I... I I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I think I might explode from sheer joy. It uh, it could be a crazy time. Oh, that, but, um, that would be amazing. 
yeah, certainly something I'm looking forward to. A huge man. So, there you go. Uh, thank you for those uh, questions, Dominic. Uh, some great stuff there, and uh, hope you uh, email in again. So, uh, there we go. Well, our next email is from Jiflosion. MBZ and Bally, it's Jiflosion again with another question. What are your top five played games by playtime in your activity log? And he's referring to the Nintendo 3DS. Um, his are, number one, Pokemon X, 391 hours. Wow. Number two, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, 246 hours. Number three, Fire Emblem Awakening, at 105 hours. Number four, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, Jewel Destinies at 80 hours and his number 5 is Animal Crossing New Leaf at 77 almost 78 hours P.S. Congratulations on finally getting a release date for Shovel Knight in the U- in EU lol. Well we have now played that game finally yes. thank god. Finally. And it was I believe marvelous. he's referring to the fact that he asked for our opinions on it on his last email and uh, we couldn't talk about it because it hadn't come out at that time. Ah but, right. Uh, Yes. It is now. It is now, and we have uh, most thoroughly enjoyed it. And, yeah, we'll probably be talking um, about it for. A and I must time. say, um, those play times are kind of dwarf mine, to be honest, <laughs> by a very, very long way. Well, you take a look at the kind of games in his top list. They are ones which make sense to be being played for that long. You know, Animal Crossing is an obvious suspect. Monster Hunter again is one of those, and Pokemon and Fire Emblem. Uh, you know, they're very replayable, and Pokemon is just obviously uh, he's going to be someone who plays competitive. So that is something that uh, makes a lot of sense. Shall um, we do? Our top tens or top fives? I would go to do our top tens if top you want. Ten. If you want to, uh, you want to let start? people know. Uh, sure, I I did want to make mention of his Phoenix Wright time at eighty hours, which I has he replayed it like five times because that seems slightly ridiculous to me. <laughs> but uh, but there you go. That's that that's the one that seems a little out of place. So how about instead of going through our top five, we go through our top ten, but in reverse order, Bali, to keep suspense exactly. at its maximum. Alright, so uh, how about you kick it off, Bally, with your number 10? My number 10 is Luigi's Mansion 2 at 17 hours and 44 minutes. Hmm. My number 10 is Pilot Wings Resort at 20 hours and 15 minutes. So I'm already ahead of you there. <laughs> my number 9... My number 9 is Zelda Link's Awakening DX at 19 hours and 27 minutes. Uh, my number 9 is Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies 2626. Nice symmetry going on there. Uh, my number eight is Fire Emblem The Sacred Stones, surprisingly. <laughs> 19 <laughs> hours 37. Yes, I have actually played a lot of that game. Yes. Uh, my number eight is The Street Pass Me Plaza <laughs> at 27 hours 27 minutes. My number seven is The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds, 20 hours and 32 minutes. Uh, my number seven is Fire Emblem Sacred Stones. Uh, it is at 32 hours and two minutes. My number six is The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks at 23 hours 47 minutes. Uh, my number six is Mario and Luigi Dream Team Brothers, 38 hours 40. Wow. <sighs> wow. <laughs> my number five is The Street Pass Me Plaza, which is 26 hours 23 minutes. Oh, an hour behind me with the with the yeah. pass there. Uh, my number five is Animal Crossing. Uh, it is forty six hours thirty four minutes. 
my number four is Super Mario 3D Land at 30 hours, 35 minutes. Uh, my number four is Mario Kart 7. Almost at 50, but we're at 48 hours, 15. Oh, wow. I'll mention that in a second. Uh, my number three is Pilot Wings Resort. So a little higher than your list um, at 33 hours and nine minutes. Jeez, yeah, you played minutes. a solid... 13 hours more of Pilot Wings oh, than I I've, have. I, it was my only game I owned on the, the system for a long time. But yeah, for love like that game. like nine months. <laughs> love that game. Uh, my number three is a Super Smash Brothers on 3DS uh, at 61 hours. Oh, my number two is Mario Kart 7 at 48 hours, 39 minutes. Jeez, you've passed me. By 15 minutes or something. Tiny. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, my number two is Fire Emblem Awakening, 89 hours 34, and that is sure to increase as I have my LP ongoing. And my number one is Super Smash Brothers um, for the 3DS at 50 hours and a minute. Excellent. My number one, uh, again, jumping quite a stretch, uh, it's Pokemon X. 342 hours in 25 minutes but you all why that why that is at this point I don't think of it as a game more as a lifestyle choice <laughs> so wow so there you go yes indeed right uh, so there you go those are our top 10s because we gave you more than we were asked for that's the kind of podcast we are. I hope that was fascinating for everyone, and everyone now realizes how little I play in relation to you, MBZ. <laughs> well, on the 3DS, yeah, you know, I guess. Um, it'd be interesting if we could do a Wii U version, because I reckon I might be beating you in some ways. Yeah, the Wii U just. Uh, I really wish they'd kept the same format, because the 3DS does it in such a great way. It's all categorized in yeah. a really easy to look at and break it downable format. Wii U, I don't know, they need to update that. It's, it's nowhere near as good as the 3DS one is. So, do that, Nintendo. Come on, get your act together. All right. So, we have a question from Priam. This is kind of a random question, but I wanted to know how many or which languages you both know. I would like to know your opinion on the clone characters of Super Smash Bros. 4 as well as the limited tomb use on Robin. Tome. Tomb? Tome? Tome. What? It's like a magical tome. Okay, sure. <laughs> I don't even know what a tome is, anyway. Right, P.S. MBZ, I would like it if you answered in your Indian accent, and I would love nope. it if Bali tried to imitate <laughs> Well, come on, Bali, give us an Indian accent. <sighs> this is going to be horrible, but let's... <laughs> oh, right, you, you have to uh, so... go first, I have to copy. Alright, so Bally, uh, what uh, language do you speak? My language. <laughs> <laughs> what language I speak? Yeah, I what speak, do you do? I speak English. Oh, very good. I and like. as well as English, I speak English. Oh, very good. Very yeah, good. Two languages. Yeah, yeah. I speak uh, four languages. Four languages? Uh, first, um, uh, Gujarati, Punjabi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I speak uh, Irish, I speak Irish? English, uh, Scottish, speak uh, European. Irish, European. Uh, okay, let's cut the bullshit. I speak one language. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 
yeah, I am I am Indian in descent, uh, as a uh, few of you will know, but uh, I don't actually speak any uh, Indian languages. I don't speak Hindi or Punjabi or anything like that, because I never learned them when I was younger. So I am I'm purely an English speaker. Bali is the same. There's no Gaelic yeah. uh, going on in Bali's vocabulary. Although I have so. quite a lot of bilingual family, which is very depressing, because I can yeah. keep up Just makes us feel dumb, yeah, right? exactly. Just, Although we we both did a bit of French, but we can't really speak uh, much yeah. of it. Uh, I no, well, certainly I certainly not. can't lay claim to that at all. So there you go. Um, uh, Tom, yeah, he wants to know our uh, opinions characters. on clone characters in Smash Four. Um, I've really kind of calmed my opinion on this, honestly, <laughs> because you know I was kind of enraged at a point, but when you kind of step back and think about it, if you view it from the perspective of Sakurai didn't necessarily have the time to implement new characters, but had the time to put in the clones just for the hell of it, then I think it's a much easier pill to swallow. It's not the fact that he spent time making clones that could have been spent on other characters. I I think that, you know, he flat out did his best to do as many characters as possible, and, you know, you should just view the clones as a bonus, honestly. Uh, You know, they're, they're nothing that you shouldn't be complaining about, honestly, so... That's what I think. And your favourite character is a clone. Yeah. Well, so is yours, technically. <laughs> so, uh, if you sort get, of. You know, yeah. Technical about it. Yeah. We actually had an interesting matchup playing today where it was like bizarro world of our normal matchup. It was me playing as Marth and you as normal Link. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's like, whoa, we're playing the real versions of our characters. Real versions, exactly. Yeah. I didn't think so much better, you know, he is. Yeah. Any any uh, further opinions on the clones, Bally? Or? I yeah, I don't mind clone characters to boost the roster in any way. I think I they're great, and I likewise I know that they're not necessarily clone characters, but I love that there are the clone costumes. For example, Alpha and Olimar, I love that, and yeah, uh, Bowser Junior with all the Cooper kids. I think that's a nice touch as well. Um, totally. So yeah, I don't really mind. I'm definitely a lot more calm about it than I was before. Yeah, um, yeah, certainly. So yeah, what about awesome tomes? Yeah, the way Robin plays is really really fascinating because you have to kind of manage uh the amount of magic you're using and switch things up between the sword and the magic. And you have really haven't played a lot of of Robin Valley. No. Uh, I have played quite a bit more and you know, I'm trying to get better with him uh, slash her, but yeah, it's 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 a it's definitely a wrinkle that I think was necessary to make that character more interesting and more diverse, and to kind of make it him and her stand out from the roster. Yeah, I mean, uh, the otherwise Fire Emblem characters we have. Otherwise, all the Fire Emblem characters would just be sword wielding, you know, fast characters, and and uh, Robin is completely different in a way with all that yeah. magic stuff and. The thing I love about it is how faithful uh, it is to the Fire Emblem series with, you know, you only have a limited number of uses for weaponry and for magic. So if you use it too much, hey, it's going to break and disappear. And uh, it's just it's just those type of elements in Smash Brothers are things that I can really appreciate because it, it's drawing from the source material in a way that is more meaningful than just, you know, uh, a costume or anything like that. Mm. So, So it's great. Great stuff. Cool. I think we've got time for one more question. Uh, we made it. Um, so this question is from uh, Bruno Garcia. 
Hello, MBZ and Bally. My question for this week is the following. How would you do Smash Brothers DLC? I wouldn't mind paying 5 or $6 for a new character in Stage Pack. For example, it would be cool to see Shovel Knight and Pride More Keep Stage. Oh, wow. I know Shovel Knight is highly <laughs> unlike- unlikely, but that leads into another question. If they did go with the character Stage Packs, what DLC characters slash stages would you like to see? Thanks again for this highly entertaining podcast. Pod- Cast. Right. Well, uh, interesting uh, time to talk about the DLC because I believe Sakurai has done a little bit of chatter about the DLC himself. Uh, oh, has kind he? of saying, yeah, I, I believe there was an interview uh, somewhat recently where he was saying, uh, you know, th- we have no plans currently for DLC. And, you know, you can interpret that as you will. You, it may be like Sakurai uh, trying to troll people again, as he is wont to do. Uh, it may be him just saying, you know, look, guys, I've worked on this fucking game for three years straight, and I'm almost dead because of it. Give me a break. Uh, I might do DLC, but just, you know, let's step back for a moment. And you could interpret it as, hey, we're not going to do any, which is a little weird considering the way that they've positioned the Mewtwo thing. Um, so... I don't know if DLC is necessarily on the cards, uh, but uh, we can still talk about it, right? And kind of yeah, I think... I mean, when Mario Kart came out, I feel like hardly anyone talked about DLC that much for Mario Kart. We all said, oh yeah, it'd be really nice if it happened, but... Right. You know, Nintendo would never do that. You know, it's Nintendo. They're never going to do DLC. And then all of a sudden... Uh, earlier this year, they announced Mario Kart DLC, and everyone flipped their shit. And then the second yeah. that that happened, and obviously Smash Brothers was already going to come out and is now out, I feel like the only reason we're expecting DLC is because of that Mario Kart DLC, and we now well, have and like, the Mewtwo thing as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, that factors into and, it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I think it will happen. Why not? There's money to be made there. Right, certainly. And, you know, Smash Brothers already has sold more copies in its, you know, first run than any Wii U game to date. It is the fastest selling Wii U game in North America, and it probably will be in Europe as well when those stats come out. Um, So Nintendo would be kind of stupid not to, but I definitely think Sakurai is... He's kind of taking a backseat at the moment, and you know we'll probably see stuff, but not until maybe late next year. Uh, yeah. I, would, I would imagine. So yeah. it does take a long time to make characters and and probably stages as well. Um, but uh, you know, let's let's do a little bit of speculation here. By uh, what would you like to see if there was a, a combination of, of a pack of a stage and a character? Who would you uh, go so, for? So, like I've said, uh, even in this show, my favorite game of all time is Wind Waker. There is no Wind Waker stage in this game, which is a real shame. Um, is do they not bring back the ship from Brawl? Not to my knowledge. It may, it may be. Look, disclaimer: all the stages <laughs> are not currently unlocked uh, oh, on yeah. Bally's copy of Smash Brothers, yeah. so it may be there. I'm, so I'm just... almost certain, but let's pretend it's not there. Okay, and I'm, and I'm really angry. Okay, you're um, angry. It'd be really nice if there was a new Wind Waker stage, and with it, perhaps a character. I don't know who, maybe Tetra or something, or I don't really know, but that would be nice. Um, I think the suggestion of Shovel Knight and Pride More Keep is incredible. I I don't know the logistics of getting Shovel Knight into the game with such a a small developer and and that kind of thing. I mean, what, what do you think? 
I, I certainly think there's a possibility, but you look at the third-party characters that are currently there, and they are like the three biggest hitters in history, right? Yeah. Like the, the three <laughs> classics, Mega Man, Sonic, and Pac-Man. That's true. Um, I'm not sure Shovel Knight stands uh, uh, alongside those. Also, he certainly deserves to, because you know, that game is fantastic. Um, if we're talking third-party characters, I think uh, you know, in keeping that classic theme going someone from castlevania one of one of the belmonts like simon belmont or something like that and of course me starting to get into castlevania now that would make a lot of sense but those guys are really unique the, the way that they move and the, and the fact that their main weapon is a whip uh we haven't seen anything like that in smash brothers before so certainly i would love to see you know some representation of, of castlevania uh being put into uh you know uh, smash brothers uh or even something from you know some of the lower tiered uh, franchises like golden sun and, and that kind of thing a lot of people want to see Isaac from Golden Sun in the game and at, at this point there isn't actually an assist trophy representing him so there is a possibility and uh, you know th- that could potentially happen so yeah I guess I guess those are my picks but uh, I think it would be cool I, like I said I've just been playing Tropical Freeze it'd be nice if there was another really interesting DK stage and maybe a character that like Dixie or Cranky that went along with that That'd be okay. It wouldn't bl- yeah. blow anyone's mind away, but it'd be nice, and I'd happily yeah, pay for that. Um, there may well be a new stage coming uh, with Mewtwo. We don't know that yet, yeah. but that would be amazing if they did, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, the underwater cave, not the underwater cave, uh, the Cerulean cave in Red and Blue where you find Mewtwo. That could be a neat one. Yeah. But, uh, anything anything along those lines, yeah. So there, there we go. Uh, DLC is still a question mark on Smash Brothers, but certainly potential and uh i guess we have our fingers crossed for it so there we have it i think that that is uh, all the emails we have time for for this segment uh we are of course needing more as per the usual so you can send in all your emails to our email address which bally shall tell you once again as a little reminder nyppquestions at gmail.com keep them coming keep sending them go to your computer hit the keyboard a few times some letters press some out. letters Send them, Send them over. We will happily All right. read them out. We are going to zip on out of here and get to our third segment, where we shall be, of course, discussing video game guys. So do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the third and final segment of our show here today. And uh, as we outlined before, we are going to be discussing the video game guide and uh, our general thoughts on it, our past history, uh, what we think going forward, and uh, just opinions overall on the premise of a guide within video games. You know, you may like them, you may hate them, but uh, they are undeniably a, a very important part of uh, just games in general, and, you know, kind of uh, an interesting part of the medium 
You know, there's uh, things like movies and f- films and, and uh, what am I saying? Movies and films are the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> movies books and music and books. And, and television, which, uh, you know, you, there's no challenge, there's no difficulty there, but a game uh, very unique in that sense, in that uh, you must undertake it yourself. Um, so, uh, I guess we'll get into this. Bali, uh, what's your history with gaming guides? Uh, what, what do you well, fall down on these? Back in the day, when we were too young to have the time I guess you could say to go out to the shops and and pick up games um, we often would send our parents or specifically our mothers um, to go and buy games for us Yes, and indeed. this was obviously before Amazon was in full swing and people were buying most of their games online as well as digitally obviously right. um, so I'd often send my mum and say, like, Mum, I've been working so hard at school, you know. Like, <laughs> it'd be really great if I could get this game. And she, occasionally she'd be like, no, you've had too many games. And other times she'd be like, yeah, no, okay, right. What game is it? What's it called? And I'd, like, I'd say, right, the game is called X. And then often whenever she, I came back from school... And my mum was like, oh, I got you the game. I'd be like, oh, thanks, mum. Thanks for getting me the game. And then she'd be like, oh, and I got you this guide. And I'm <laughs> like, a guide? Really? Okay. It's like, why did you get the guide? And then she'll say the, the typical, oh, the guy in the shop told me that you needed the guide to complete the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I would just say stuff like, but mum, they're just like selling unnecessary stuff to you i mean guides are great and they're a real luxury but you really don't need them for most games in general um so yeah i guess guides that she bought include um the legend of zelda twilight princess yes um which i lent to you actually Um, so that was actually a good one and i did use that occasionally um she also bought the guide for lego star wars 2 it's such a useful one I'm sure which was <laughs> really pointless I mean I was never going to go after all the collectibles in that game because the number of collectibles in uh, Lego games are quite numerous so there was no not much point in that so I just sort of explained to her like you really don't need them and I don't think even today she still understands to be honest and yeah yeah so I I mean I did used to use guides. We used to use guides um, quite a bit for certain games. Um, yeah. In particular, The Legend of Zelda. Um, mm-hmm. The first main Zelda we, well, I got into was uh, uh, Wind Waker. And it still is my favorite. It's the game that got me into the series, really. And the first run-through of that game, we played a lot of it together, actually. You at my house, or I'd right. come around to yours and we'd play it. And for many of the the dungeons if not all the dungeons i want to say we would print off like a game facts guide like in its entirety not even in its entirety like we'd print off a whole dungeon yeah or like we'd plan the next four hours of gaming time we were having and we'd say like right we've got this dungeon to do let's print off this dungeon and we would 
I, you would read me the guide and I would just follow it religiously. <laughs> right, it was basically uh, uh. like this strange pseudo-co-op thing where yeah. I was sitting there with a highlighter <laughs> and uh, pages just filled with text, yes. dense text, because the way we printed them off, there was no spacing or anything, we didn't do any of that. You know, this is early internet days, right? Very early. And so the only way to get guides, if you wanted them in that sort of format, was either to go out to the shops and buy the really top quality ones with the pictures and everything and all the little charts and tables, or go to GameFAQs and print out just dense words on a page yeah no and, pictures uh, a lot of all. the time the way to do it if you didn't want to be you know spending a lot of money was to go and do that and that's what we did and i would sit there highlighting as we went along and be like okay bali you need to do this and i just highlight as soon as the thing was done like ticking <laughs> off a list uh and it was you know when we look back at it now i feel like if we were to attempt to do that nowadays it would be really uninteresting and kind of not very fun but it's kind of the context of the time and place and our age as well that it was it was a great experience i really enjoyed doing it it was great because we knew nothing about zelda really i mean we had so little experience with the series um we didn't know that there are multiple times where you're flicking numerous switches to open doors stuff like that um so it was just that sort of helping a hand that was telling us, oh, no, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, like, it just made the whole experience really a lot smoother for us at the time. I mean, how old were we? Maybe 12, 13? Maybe a little younger, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So at that age, I was a terrible gamer, like, really bad, (laughs) really bad. And having the guide, and especially you there reading it to me, it's like, it just worked really seamlessly. And we did a lot of the game in a short space of time as a result like much quicker than we would have otherwise and i guess really got me personally into zelda like yeah back then sure i mean these days i feel like using a guide a lot of people have the idea that you know it's robbing you of the experience you know you should be the one uh who is you know getting into it and thinking about it and engaging with the game uh on your own terms uh when you fall down on guides nowadays bali do you, do you kind of agree with that sentiment um yeah i use them when i have to basically um it depends on the game definitely um say it's an adventure game that has puzzle elements whether it's like a trine or a Zelda or something like that, and I'm I'm stuck on a puzzle. I don't know what to do next. Um, it really does vary for me how long I will attempt to hit my head up against a brick wall trying to work out how to do the puzzle versus look at a guide. Right. Um, so I guess for trine, there were some puzzles I'd spend maybe twenty as much as twenty minutes just yeah trying out different things and you know the great thing is that occasionally investing that extra time without the guide can pay off and you do just naturally work it out and that's a great feeling i won't i won't take that away from anyone but likewise i think endlessly hitting your head up against a brick wall is just not a fun way to play games and that ultimately guides can really fix um big issues with certain games um, when you're stuck and everyone's different i mean some people work out some puzzles instantly and others it takes a, a lot longer yeah and i think it's interesting you bring up trying to because that is really a very um what do i say uh <laughs> it's <laughs> No, uh, okay, let me just start that again. Um, 
that's interesting that you brought up trying to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just go from there. <clears throat> yeah, and it's interesting you bring up trying to because I feel that the idea of frustration versus satisfaction is is really at play within that game where. There are the there are the elements where you're like, okay, I can definitely figure this out because the physics is is so malleable that there are ways that I could do this that no one else can. And there are also kind of those things where you're like, well, I could attempt this for so long, but in the end, am I really going to get something that is worth it out of it? You know, is is it going to be worth the the time invested? And you know, sometimes in that game, it really isn't because it's just experience orbs that you're going after. But I do feel that it's more of the triumph of being able to overcome those is is where it comes in. So yeah, I do think you have to find a nice balance between what makes you super frustrated and what will eventually be worth the frustration in the end and uh, and result in a satisfying experience. One. So. One mechanic in games that um, I have basically decided I'm always going to use a guide for um, no matter what because I don't actually like the mechanic I'm about to mention and that is secret exits. I just, I really dislike secret exits and to name a few games I've played with secret exits, Super Mario Bros. U, Super Mario World, um, the small part I've played of that. They're really important in Star Fox 64 when I played that on the 3DS. And likewise in Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, there are secret exits on levels that lead to entirely different levels. And I just... I just really don't like it. I don't know why. I just hate the idea of... um, So I guess when you start the level, you know that there's a secret exit by and large, whether it's any of these games, because like either a map screen or something will indicate oh there there's another way to exit this level but i don't like the idea of just rummaging through the entire level where any single little secret thing could be a secret exit all i want to do is play the play the level i have to unlock i don't really care how i unlock it i just want to play that new secret level so i with tropical freeze i just went straight onto YouTube and Game Explained a great video that has all the secret exits in the game and I just followed it and unlocked them. And some people will completely disagree with me on that and say like, oh, that's cheating. Like, that's half the fun of Tropical Freeze is that you have to find the secret exits. And for me personally, just finding them isn't much fun. I just don't like yeah, it. I don't know. It's a weird mechanic because what it does require is a huge amount of repetition, right? Yeah. Like, if you don't find it first time, let's go through the level again. Oh, didn't find it again. Let's go through it again. And you end up in this loop where you're not getting anything new out of it, and you're kind of getting bored at the same time. And, yeah, it's 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 a weird one. It's definitely more associated with Nintendo games far more than uh, any other company, I feel, just because of yeah. you know, the way that they... Uh, had those so embedded in their early classic games and it's kind of a trope that they continue in, in the long It's a things. real shame that it, it's so central to many Nintendo games and how it's continued that it's, it's quite frustrating. Sure. But um, but yeah, I guess if we're coming you know, to our conclusions on, on guides uh, nowadays, um, do you feel that they detract from the experience uh, completely? Or, you know, would you... Would you prefer a world without guides how, how do you fall down on the ballet i would definitely not like a world without guides because 
everyone plays games in different ways and some people like to just blast through games as fast as possible and don't like exploration and I was kind of hinting at that with my secret level issue um, secret exit issue, sorry um, although I do love exploration as the thing so it depends it, it really does depend I, I'm trying to think of other areas where I've used a guide um I mean, often it might not. I might know how to do something. I'm just not doing it well enough. For example, like a boss fight where I will actually want to watch a video on YouTube. And I guess that's one way we should mention of how guides have changed so much is that you now have like video guides and like showing you how to defeat a boss. Right. So often, that like little techniques and how to improve the way you perform against a boss you can really learn a lot from a video versus um a written guide for example Mm. and i think that there are plenty of bosses i've needed like guidance on where the hell to run to and like the best technique for avoiding damage taking damage and dealing the most damage um but you don't feel like that's something that i mean comes within playing the game you know where you're supposed to i mean you have to kind of bang your head against the wall to some extent with those kind of things because you know that's kind of the point of it a lot of the time in Zelda is working out you know what is the weak points and where yeah. what do I need to use and that kind of thing I mean it it depends completely on the game I mean for me personally one of the toughest bosses I've ever faced was the Metroid Prime Ridley and the that whole boss is designed to fool you so like it's designed that you get the first three quarters of its health down really quickly and you think oh I've got this in the bag and then all of a sudden when it's on that final quarter of health Ridley just goes into absolute rage mode and it becomes a completely different fight and you're like oh my god what am I meant to do and like I I just kept on dying and then I must admit after a few times dying I was like I'm going to look at a guide and like find out the best way of doing this because I'm just getting nowhere so I I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to a guide immediately for something yeah. like that, like a boss fight where I'm stuck. But I, I would be still be stuck on plenty of bosses had I not had the guide at some point because it's it's a nice crutch eventually to get to. I think. Yeah, and I, I think that is certainly one of those things where there is a certain stopping block point where you're like, you know what, I'm not making any progress. And for me, I I like the idea of making progress within games when I'm playing them. I don't like the idea of sitting down, fighting a boss and getting nowhere. And, you know, that's my gaming session for the night and I didn't really achieve anything. You know, I think the sense of achievement is something that I like to get out of the experience of playing games. And, uh, you know, when you come up against, uh, you know, a roadblock like that that stops you, that's when you feel like okay you know i it's kind of worth it at this point i'm not getting anywhere i've got to try something else and uh you know there there are certain games where um i i will push all the way through but it's kind of a rare instance that that happens um because you know I, either i want to keep it pure for myself or, or whatever other other reasons but you you were starting to move on to i guess the changing face of yeah. game guides and then how things were moving in the video age and and you know the rise of youtube and let's play and all this kind of stuff and how it how it changes things um there are very different games uh for me that makes sense uh, in video versus text I think a good example is what I played recently uh, was Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies where that game is it's really long and it has a lot of different 
um, specific areas where you actually have agency and you have the ability to do things as opposed to clicking through text. In cases like that, it's very good and beneficial to go to a text guide because it will tell you the thing you need to click, the thing you need to do to move the story forward, to move the plot onwards and, and get through it. So for you know visual novels, that kind of thing, I definitely lean towards uh, you know the, the text-based guides. But video has opened up a whole new world of possibilities, right? It really makes things much easier to get your head around and kind of understand uh, what to do in situations. Uh, have video guides helped you a lot more, do you feel, Bally, than text ones? Um, in many ways, yes, because they're, in, they're often much more simple. Um, the, the sort of boss scenario I was mentioning earlier is actually something... I probably get stuck on more often than other issues in games like um, especially with a game like Metroid and obviously I've played three Metroids this year and there are plenty of times in all three of them to be honest where I just kept dying on the boss and like after a while you don't want to die on the boss you want to defeat the boss and like I was saying before it's, it's great reading some tips on how to defeat it but the for something that's, I guess you could argue, Twitch-related, and it's, it's about your your genuine gaming physical ability rather than working out a puzzle necessarily, it's more ben- it's, it's more beneficial to watch something like that happen. For example, I, I, I used to play and still try to play a lot of tennis. I feel like reading how to play tennis is nothing like watching someone play tennis it's that Absolutely. kind of difference like you you're going to learn a lot more about the technique and how to strike that tennis ball from watching a professional tennis player hit a tennis ball not by reading a textbook on how to hit a tennis ball and i feel like my main issue with bosses is a lot like that comparison where i don't really want to read a guide necessarily i'd rather watch someone do it and it's it's also often a lot quicker and yeah i just think it's better cool um, well, I think that uh, you know there are lots of different ways that people produce video content these days. The most notable is, of course, the Let's Play, which has grown in, in great popularity over the past five years or so. Um, and I, I feel like that has, to some degree, eclipsed the idea of a walkthrough. Uh, much fewer people these days are uploading pure video walkthroughs, and they're always trying to add some flavor, uh, their own personality to it, through the guise of a Let's Play. Um, when you're searching for something uh, on YouTube, you know, to help you out in a game, are you leaning uh, towards the let's play side or to the walkthrough side? And can you even, you know, find videos that don't have people talking over the top of them? Uh, you know, these uh, days, there are definitely plenty of uh, videos with people not talking over the top of them, especially with the Metroid bosses I've looked up previously. Um, I'm really not bothered either way when I'm looking at stuff like that. I just want to find video content of the boss being defeated, really, because more often than not, you can just work out from the video without anyone talking how to do what they're doing, unless it's quite a complicated game. And most of the games I play aren't overly complicated. Right. Um, And I think that's an interesting thing, is that in terms of a let's play uh it can be you know kind of haphazardly structured you know i i 
do not envy someone who is trying to play The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess based on my playthrough because I'm not there to provide the experience of do this, do this, do this. I'm just dicking yeah. around and trying to play the game and maybe get 100%, maybe not. But, you know, I'm, I'm going for it and, and, and that's kind of thing that's happening. But, you know, when I am fighting against bosses and doing that kind of thing, I am talking and trying to, uh, you know, explain to people what I'm doing and how it's going. So I think there is definitely a trade-off where it's, it's definitely harder to kind of pinpoint a moment within a let's play it's much harder to um find the specific thing you're looking for but if you do find it then it can uh, more often than not be uh, more helpful because of the person uh, potentially you know depends on the person who's commentating of course but potentially uh, giving you that extra insight uh, which could be valuable so so yeah um i think another really interesting thing in terms of new ways of uh you know being helped through games is uh, Nintendo's implementation uh, of Miiverse in, in their platforms. Uh, Miiverse is really curious because it's it kind of there as this platform for artists, it's this place for people to kind of chat about games, but it's also a really great tool uh, for fixing uh, problems that you have in terms of like what do I do next? You know, yeah. in terms of being a guide for people, uh, and you can post screenshots, and so people know where you are in the game. Um, I've done it a few times actually, and it has actually worked. People go in there, and people will reply to you, and will help you out. Uh, what's your experience with Meverse being uh, thus far, Bally? In um, terms of guides, really positive. It's it's nice. It's nice that the idea of another human being directly responding to you that's a really cool feature for nintendo to implement and one funny scenario where i used it was um metroid super metroid and there's actually a famous part of the game that apparently a numerous people get stuck on the first time they play the game including myself and it's basically an area where you have to run across um, some platforms that disappear very quickly. So, like, you have to be quick to make sure they don't disappear and you fall. But you can easily get to that up to that point in that game without using the run button at all. For, right, so, or even knowing the run exactly. button exists. <laughs> like myself. So I had no idea it existed. I posted on Miiverse. I said, like... Um, I'm stuck on this bit. Does anyone can anyone help me? Thanks or something. And then I think someone replied saying, "Oh yeah, this it's called like the noob sprint or something." And it's got it like had a certain name, the noob bridge, I think. Noob bridge, and it's just like this bridge where all the noobs can't get across it because they don't know how to run. <laughs> and that, like that's just a really funny thing. I mean, obviously the downside of Meverse is that it's not always instantaneous, and if you're posting in a community that's not as popular. For example, I think the Mario Kart community is probably the most frequently posted in community for because I can like do a Miiverse post in that community and I'll go back to the community two minutes later and I have to scroll down like multiple screens just to see my post whereas yeah. if I post in I don't know Assassin's Creed 4 community my post might be top of the list for a good few hours because I guess fewer people are playing that game so it's it does depend on how often people are replying to you, and that's where the internet is obviously much better. It just, I need to right. find this out, let's look it up. I but mean, Miiverse nice is feature. really cool, and it's yeah. a nice thing for engaging with people one-to-one, -one, but ultimately, it's not very practical, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's great, but it's like, it's, it's, it's this it's really boiled-down format of a forum uh, yeah. where you could go on the internet and get things done a lot faster than that. Um, yeah. But I like it. I, I do. I just like that. 
you can just get a share a screenshot and there are people there who have played the game and know what's going on so yeah that's a, that's, that's a cool thing great and that's something yeah. that would be tougher to do with an internet forum and it's really nice that you can just post it directly absolutely so so yeah guides video game guides love them or hate them uh i kind of in the end i think i fall down on really being someone who leans on guides when i need to but uh I, I do like having that kind of own experience and, and being able to kind of graph my own path, but I certainly wouldn't want them to go away. I think that they are a core integral, um, you know, feature of, of the way games work, and uh, I uh, I'm glad that they exist because uh, we, we I could really hate some games otherwise. I could really hate some games that I ended up loving <laughs> as a result. So yeah, I just feel sorry for all those gamers who had to play games before guides even existed at a time <laughs> when games were by many accounts much harder than now like you know the original legends of zelda and things like oh, that yeah. i think we, we and, and, you know a time, lot of that was yeah. uh, the guides in those days were the playground right and exactly. people talking to each other and trying to figure things out aside from you know the nintendo power uh guides coming out in, in the magazines you know that was all they had so so yeah yeah so we're living like in a time when it couldn't be more cushy. Like it's nice, <laughs> and, I, and I'm like you, MBZ. I love to lean on them when I have to, and I love having that option. And I, I'm sure many gamers are in this would agree with us that they're nice to lean on, but we shouldn't ever go back to the way we used them when we were. 1213 with uh, Wind Waker certainly that, no, was, that was a bit over the, <laughs> over the top but it worked at the time nonetheless yes excellent well uh, there we go uh, that is uh, our opinions on video game guides I hope you uh, enjoyed it it was, uh, it was a cool topic and interesting one to dig into uh, but that is pretty much going to close out our show uh, before we go uh, we are going to of course plug ourselves so Bali why don't you go ahead and tell people where you can be found on the internet you can find me on the Twitters at 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 Ballyman. Exactly. I was on the brain, man. The trailer. I just can't get out of my head right now. <laughs> at Ballyman ninety one. B a double l y m a n nine one. And you can also follow me under that same name on the Meverse, which of course we've just been talking about. Um, I post try to post quite frequently on both I guess I've got quite a good record of posting on Meverse I, yeah. I'm getting a lot of yes it's very satisfying <laughs> excellent follow uh, me on there yeah so you can find me I am also uh, <coughs> on Twitter I'm at LordNBZ and uh, Meverse is the exact same LordNBZ there too uh we have uh, ourselves on iTunes. Uh, we are a podcast that exists on that service. So you can subscribe to us there. It's an easy, uh, good way to listen to the show because you can go anywhere and take it with you uh, to your delight. Um, so we encourage you to go and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, also, before we go, we are getting into the end of the year. If you didn't notice, 2014 has kind of flown by and uh, we are kind of ramping up to game of the year stuff, uh, which I'm uh, kind of excited about. We're going to do some fun stuff surrounding that so the plans we have laid out is that on the next show we are going to be breaking down our top 10 games that we played this year but that didn't actually come out this year so we're talking about stuff like Bally's played Super Metroid and Metroid Prime and I played Link to the Past games that didn't come out in 2014 
but that we have talked about on the podcast and played. Uh, we want to differentiate those uh, because otherwise we're going to have this mishmash list that is kind of hard to to go through. Uh, so we're doing that for next week uh, or next show, should I say? And then the last show of the year, uh, we're going to be doing our top five games that came out in 2014. And we would very much like your participation in this. So if you uh, want to tell us your favorite games you played this year, whether they came out this year or not, uh, send us emails. Uh, You can give them in a list format if you want. If not, just tell us the games you enjoyed the most playing this year. And uh, we will read some of those out on the show and uh, and discuss them. So, uh, So get doing that. And that email address is nyppquestions at gmail.com. Excellent, Bali. Thank you for uh, for picking that up there. <laughs> uh, almost went uh, end of the show without uh, actually plugging it. So, uh, yes. Uh, yes, you send, send us your emails. Keep sending those, uh, of course, but we would like to hear from you about Game of the Year stuff. Uh, we will uh, we'll be discussing it. So, uh, pretty uh, sure that's it, Bali. Nothing else here. I, I think, think so, but yeah, it'd be great to hear from everyone about what they've been playing and their top games of the year because we have a lot of work to do in the next little while to plan our top games we do indeed Uh, so uh, without further ado that is going to be us so thank you very much for listening Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks time with another show until then goodbye Musical interludes used in today's show were Funky Waters from Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, copyright 2014 Nintendo, and Twisted Samurai from Phoenix Wright Dual Destinies, copyright 2013 Capcom. I digest, I digest, I digest, I digest, I digest, I digest. I digest.